you could have more fulfillment and ease in your professional and personal life and still be ambitious. Join me, Kathy Onetto, founder of Sustainable Ambition, for conversations with experts, authors, and friends on what it means to live with sustainable ambition. Learn concepts, tips, and tools to craft a fulfilling career on your terms while still being ambitious and avoiding burnout. For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Welcome back, everyone. I am thrilled to be joined today by Christopher Carter, who also goes by Casey. Christopher is the founder of This Epic Life, a website devoted to conscious leadership, which has created a daily meditation practice for thousands. He is the creator of the Four Permissions Framework, which guides his coaching of executive leaders at Amazon, AT&T, EXP Realty, Edward Jones, and many more. Casey is also a professional songwriter, TEDx speaker, and international retreat leader. And I should mention an author. On October 5th, Casey is releasing his book, Permission to Glow, A Spiritual Guide to Epic Leadership, which we'll be talking about today. So Casey, welcome to the show. Awesome to be here, Kathy. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Well, before we dig into the book, I was hoping to have you share a little bit about your own journey that brought you to your current work. So on the podcast, we talk with people uh, about building sustainable careers. And I think it's especially interesting to hear people's journeys in making later stage career shifts as well. So you went from working on the corporate side in sales, I believe it was, but maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that, to pursuing your current work as a business owner owner, sought after executive coach, and a meditation expert. So what drew you at the time to make the shift out of corporate work to to pursue this work you're doing now? And kind of what were the signs that were drawing you to make a change? Oh, yeah, this is a great question. So how I'm going to frame this is I'm, I'm going to start on kind of on the ethereal spiritual journey side of things. Um, I'm a, I'm a magnet for various healers and teachers and my, one of my dear teachers, Alice Bandy, who, who has since passed on. She, she basically told me that there was my life up until the age of 40 and then my whole new life after the age of 40, almost as if I was reincarnating, but keeping the body kind of a thing. And my career was just one part of that, you know, like I, um, I was a sales director, as you mentioned. I led a sales team for a uh, um, advertising technology company, rapid growth company, amazing company. We won a lot of awards for culture. I worked for them for about nine years. And I always joked that the founder, CEO, Sean, would be the last person I worked for. He was just too great. I couldn't improve upon him. And uh, I said I would go on my own after that. And so I took this sabbatical at the end of 2015 and three week sabbatical, we get it every five years. And as I was doing that, uh, my position was eliminated. And by that point, I had moved, moved into training and development. So I was starting to coach leaders. I was running a lot of programs and, and kind of preparing for what my career is these days. And uh, once that happened and my career was eliminated, I had this great opportunity to just go out on my own. So it really unfolded organically and naturally. 
it's not to say that I slept great that first year, because when you're, you know, you have a family of five in tow and you're starting to live your big honking dream, it's, it's terrifying and scary and you lose sleep. But, um, but it did work out as Alice and other people said it would, all my coaches and mentors said that you're built for this. You know, I leaned into coaching and, uh, started creating all the client base one by one. Mm, that's great. And I love to hear like how lucky for you that you had an amazing boss and that you had sabbaticals offered to you. So that's really wonderful. I think that's a great part of a culture. I'm kind of curious, you know, several years in now and looking back, what do you know now on the other side? And you're still on your business building journey, right. but you know, what do you know now that you didn't know then? And is, and is there anything that surprised you most on this journey? I mean, and it's not to j jump into the book too quick, but honestly, these permissions, there's four permissions laid out inside the book, Permission to Glow. And back when I started the journey, I really just had the beginnings of the third permission and the first permission, which is basically, I thought it was all about glowing in the dark, finding your full self-expression and just doing that on blast unapologetically. But it's not really sustainable and it's exhausting and you feel like you're overperforming all the time. And so the thing I know now that I've kind of softened into, and maybe some of this comes with age, right? I think this is just kind of maturing into your body a little bit, is that I would be more chill about a lot of things. I would just focus more on the spiritual practice of just quieting the mind. Um, more on the allowing side of things versus forcing it from sheer force of will. And in the second permission, which is probably the biggest for me, which is to feel the feels, to be authentic and, and letting my emotions guide me. Cause you know, men especially just want to push them down or pretend they don't exist. Mm, that's so great. And yes, we'll get into the permissions more. I look forward to digging yeah. into this. And I actually like that you you just frame those up really quickly for us. Um, before we get into those, there are a few things I wanted to kind of probe on. Yeah. And, on, on and one, um, just to get it out of the way, right? So one is I, I just love the title of your book, partly because there are things in this title that you don't necessarily expect to see in a business yeah. book, right? Like glow. Like I, I'd love to do a search on Harvard Business Review and like see if there are any, unless you've already written for them, Casey, but like to see if yeah. glow shows up in any of their articles. Right. Um, but you also bring together, right? Spirituality and leadership. And I can imagine in business for better or worse, like some people might get a little resistant to this idea of like, what do you mean bringing a spiritual practice and having that intersect with business and leadership? So right. what would you say to people that are that start to have that feeling? How do you kind of get people comfortable with this space that you that you really want to lead people into and where what where you see a real unlock for people? Yeah. Well, I, I think, I mean, you're, you're a coach, you get this, is that there, there's the reason why people want to hire you, what they want to create, you know, and it's usually to accomplish the thing or to get the job or to do the thing. But what they end up needing from the coaching is who they get to become in the process. And as I define glowing is, is pretty much the embodiment of who you are and who you're meant to be. And to me, that is a spiritual conversation. You know, so many leaders and busy business builders and people that are balancing families, everything else, we, we tend to get stuck in this trap of scarcity around our time or, or money or, you know, and really it comes down to our capacity, like our capacity to hold more, hold more clients, hold more abundance, hold more love in our lives. 
and to me, that's a spiritual conversation, like full stop. You know, I, I was lucky to discover yoga at a young age and, and get more into meditation. And as, as we meditate, we increase that capacity. And I think through great coaching, it's the same thing. I think just we've been, we've trained ourselves in corporate circles to kind of talk around it and to not use the G word, God or spirit so much and, and just talk about capacity and, um, but yeah, it, it's, I didn't chose this, this work. It, it chose me and it's been the, kind of the hardest boulder to push in writing the book was that, wow, I have to step out now is, is somewhat of a spiritual teacher at this, at this intersection and just be open to the conversation. And I get it that a lot of people have baggage around these words, myself included. Uh, and it might be really uncomfortable for some people, but what I mostly find, I mean, I don't know if you're like this, but my favorite coaching clients are the ones where, where I'm in like high level creative conversations with CEOs or C-level executives. And we're talking about meditation and yoga and going on retreats. And we're just talking about like the, the really finer embodied parts of life. And I, and I think I'm getting paid for this, you know, and, and, but, but by and large, those are the conversations those leaders want to be in. They're, they're kind of, they're kind of good on the getting more crap done thing, you know? Uh, so yeah, it's interesting uh, that that intersection is becoming more and more prevalent in my client base. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. And it's it's actually um, heartening to hear, right, that you're you're seeing more leaders kind of open up to this. And I was curious also, Casey, you taught you labeled it epic leadership. And I was I'm wondering yeah. if that's is that a part of what makes it epic or like how would you define epic yeah. leadership? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those words, my, my brand and, and my, my website's this epic life, you know? So it was important to me when that aha came down, it, it felt like Clark Griswold seeing his Christmas tree, like a, a light was shining on it. I thought, oh my gosh, that's the thing. Epic leadership. Cause it's, it's to be determined by the leader. How do they define it is the more important question, but how I think about it is, you know, life on earth in 2021 and especially running a business or running a giant team. I mean, it is plenty hard, full of tons of uncertainty. And what are the epic moments for us? It's the epic connections where we feel we're connected to ourselves and our leadership. We're connected to the others around us and we're connected to something bigger than us, whether it's the company mission or it's some sort of vast unspoken benevolent force in the universe. Um, and I think that that's how I define epic leadership, where when, when I, those moments when I'm with a client, and this is usually in Costa Rica, where they're getting ready to cannonball off a cliff into like some pool of water. And they're looking me in the eyes thinking like, this is it. This is the moment that I get to do this thing. And um, those show up all day long in conference rooms. And so it's my, it's my job to help them be present to them. So that, that's how I think about epic leadership is just being deeply present, I guess. Yeah. It's so interesting because you know, so many people, I think, think that leadership or or where one needs to focus is on the getting things done piece. But as you're even saying, sure. like that, no, they're good at that, right? Like many of us are good right. at that. It's there's something else that is behind that. And you talk about this idea of being able to hold more. And you also talk about this idea of like people are longing for peace. And especially yeah. during our current modern lifestyle, and especially right now right. coming out of the pandemic. I, yeah, yeah, I mean, and so there's these other aspects that it sounds like you see in leaders and individuals that 
people are yearning for something. And it's not just, it's kind of like, yeah, we can do all the doing, but what's really sustaining us, you know, is a part of what I hear you talking about. Like, so can you say a little bit more about like, you know, the peace or like the peace we crave? Like, how do you think about that? Yeah. Thanks for asking that. I mean, the purpose of the book was peace because if I could, if I could give anything to these incredible high-performing super contributor type of leaders that I work with, it would be peace. And peace on a spiritual level is an aspect of God. God is infinite peace, infinite bliss. Peace is this thing on planet earth that we dangle as a carrot that we never quite get to, you know, like if we wage a war, maybe we could get to peace. Or if we, you know, drink 20 Red Bulls and work hard this week, maybe we could have a peaceful vacation next week. Not likely, but maybe, right? And um, I think of it in terms of we're at peace when we have a sense of vocation in our work, when we are purpose-driven, purposeful, and and or if we're on the path towards that and we, we might have angst, we might not be there yet, but we are at peace in our journey. You know, we, are, we have surrendered into the path. And I think our culture has done a great job of just amping so much of everything into just some ridiculous pace that peace is not quite possible. We want to think it is, but it's not. So yeah, the purpose of the permissions is to give one by one permission. It's a defiant act in this current environment to sit down and be quiet with ourselves, you know? And then we start to realize when we do that, that the only peace that we're ever going to find if it is attainable on this physical plane is inside ourselves. So it starts with us and then it starts with giving permission to others to do it. And yeah, so yeah, peace just became this like real kind of pursuit for me. And I had to really rethink my own relationship to it. I'm not good at being, you know, I'm a hard charging, you know, glow in the dark type of personality. I like going full out. And, but when I realized what, what am I looking for in this journey? I just want to feel good in it. I want to be at peace with it. Yeah, that's lovely and beautiful. And I, that resonates so deeply for me too. And yet I think for many of us ambitious folk, it's hard to allow us to kind of settle into that piece and to let go. Well, um, well, I, well, one of the things that comes up with high performing and who, who are the most likely to be a coach or to hire a coach is the high performers, right? We are achievers by nature. And um, we just don't like, one of the things we do is we confuse contentment which is a beautiful pursuit. I mean, who doesn't want to be content? It's like some synonym for peace, right? We can, we confuse it with complacency, Mm. you know, like, Oh, I'm being a lazy so-and-so if I just sit here and be for a little bit, you know, and no contentment's the goal. Like, why do we work so hard? You know? Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. Well, I'd love to, you started to frame up already kind of like the four permissions and I've kind of held off long enough. Like I'd love to hear more about the four permissions and introduce people to these and how it really impacts helping people become epic leaders. Oh, thanks. Well, the, the first one permission to chill, it's represented by the pause button. It's the defiant act of hitting the pause button in all of this chaos and creating a daily meditation habit. That's something I'm pretty adamant about with my leaders that I work with, uh, because when they do that, they're better able to be with what is to accept what's actually going on versus this permagrin mask we could put on of like, it's all good. I'm crushing it. You know, that's just a defense against not being able to be with what is the, the, 
it's sobering to actually look at your circumstances, to look at the shaken up snow globe that's spiraling around us at all times and to, to find some way to be okay with that. And, um, so, so yeah, it starts with permission to chill, just, just to slow down. And, and this is usually how I get people's attention on their way into my practice. When I'm onboarding them, it's like, when are you going to slow the hell down? Who, who's going to do this for you? Nobody can do it for you. You have to give yourself the permission. And when they're able to do that, it creates just enough space to kind of build into the other four or the other three. I love that permission to slow down, right? Because, and I can see that catching people off guard a bit because when do we allow ourselves? And you're right, like who who else is going to give you that permission, right? The world kind of continues yeah. to ask more and more of us. And unless we are the ones that kind of give us that, our, that permission, as you're saying, to hit the pause button, slow down, chill, pause, be for some amount of time, you know, it's the world's just going to keep pushing us, pushing us, pushing us. So. Well, what's, what's interesting about it too. I mean, I was talking to a client this morning who's, who's actively pursuing like a huge new role and in a different company. And usually he would go about that process from a place of proving from, from almost desperation of like pitching and angling and, you know, you know, positioning his resume and experience. That's what we do. That's what we've been trained to do. And there's nothing wrong with it. But when he does it from chill, it's a whole different conversation because he's, he's just curious. He's from discovery. He's easy. It's more baller level. And all of the people are coming to him now. And, and that's the power of actually chilling when we want to just push forward all the time. It's so interesting. That's, um, you know, you think that being charged up is what's going to attract people to you. And it's actually right. like this calming presence actually is what draws people to you. Cause it's, it's, yeah. it's so unusual and differentiated in the world today, right. To kind of provide people also that you become a magnet, I imagine, because you become that person that like really calms other people down. You're like, people are like, I want to be around that. Yeah. Or the compliment I would get, and it was usually from my positive nature. People would say, what are you on and where can I get some, you know? And I was like, <laughs> well, I think that's a compliment, but yeah, I, I don't know if I'll ever be a chill person, but I am committed to practicing mm. and, and I'm committed to coaching it and others because when they, when they create that space around it, their, their real being can emerge and not this performative aspect of, of being. Mm -hmm. So what's the second permission yeah, th Easy. this is where all of my personal breakthroughs are. Like all of my heartache, all of my hard work, my coach hammers me on this relentlessly is permission to feel all the feels. And it's, it's represented by the unicorn. And the reason why it's represented by the unicorn, because truly rare and mystical is the human being that is open and vulnerable enough to share exactly how they're feeling. The antithesis is this rascally character I call game face, which is like we slapped on this protective. It's almost like a housewife in the 1950s, kind of everything's perfect here, nothing to see here. That's how most of us go about our professional career. But when we're willing to feel into what our um, emotions are telling us and, and listen to our feelings as data, we can be guided by them to, to address needs that we have and also what's most powerful is to use our future feeling states as priming tools to how do we want to feel when we achieve this thing? You know, high performers like um, Olympic athletes, Michael Phelps certainly figured this out. The guy wins the race before he jumps in the pool is because he knows what it feels like. He practiced it well to stand on the, you know, the, the winner's block. And um, so 
feelings, it, it can't be overstated how powerful of a frontier this is. And it's getting a lot of press now. Thank God there's a great book, Permission to Feel. There's a great book, uh, um, uh, Brene Brown's work certainly has opened the door for so many of us in this area, but I feel like most of us are just at the very beginning baby steps of learning how to like even hear, let alone articulate our feelings. And that's, that's permission to feel all the feels. Mm, I love that. And it's so, I mean, especially in the business world, right. And that's where you're bringing this work is that, I mean, and it, obviously this applies outside of that as well, but this idea that, um, you know, the game face, Right. And like so often this actually drove me nuts <laughs> working in the corporate world oftentimes because I'm a little bit more of an emotional person. I'll just admit it. And I, yeah. I am not somebody who puts on a, a poker face very well. And so, you know, they always say like, especially to women, like be the duck, you know, be calm on top, like your feet are, you know, going crazy underneath the water. And there's just something to me that always felt like just a little disingenuous. Like, I'm not saying like go crazy, like when there's a crisis happening and, and present calm right. and guide people, but also acknowledge, you know, the realities as opposed to kind of just suppressing everything. Um, so I think yeah. there's, there is a lot of power in this. Well, it, it's, I, I thank God we're starting to outgrow some of these antiquated you know, tips that we got, be the duck. I just heard that version of it. And it reminds me of, you know, Elsa's parents in frozen concealed don't feel. And it's like, is that helpful? Really? I mean, yeah, th there's a definite distinction between maintaining poise and composure. That's what we expect and need from our leaders. No reason to panic here. And, you know, like the, the more seasoned CEOs I coach, they'll say that the most seven powerful words in business are, I don't know. What do you think? Most of us get trained to this, I got this mentality, which drives me up a flipping wall. When people like have their arms crossed, like I got this crushing it. I'm like, do you? Because like, I almost take that as sport to like, you know, fire a missile their way to see if they really mean it. Because I think I got this as overcorrected confidence. And we're just protecting everyone from our true power. We're protecting ourselves from the unknown, which unfortunately includes all of our big dreams and goals. We don't know that we're protecting ourselves from that, but we can't let that into our experience if we're like doing the whole, I got this kind mm. of thing. It's just, it's, it's just funny to play with. And we notice it about ourselves. Like I, I do it all the time when I notice myself slipping into, I got this. I'm like, no, I got to remember the fourth permission later on, which is we got this. Right, right, right. Well, and one of the things I wanted to ask about this, and and I think it relates to others as well. And I don't, I don't know if you see these this way, Casey, but as I was like playing with these in my own mind, I was kind of like, huh, are these like counterpoints to each other? Or do they complement each other? So yeah. what I mean by it is kind of like, okay, well, you're saying permission to chill. So like, just be, but then also in that you got permission to feel all the feels. So it's kind of like, how do I be, but then feel right. all this stuff. So um, yeah. how do you, and, and not also get overwhelmed by it. Right. So, sure. you know, obviously like a meditation practice is probably going to help with that, but can you say, is there any, did yeah, you think about yeah. it that way at all? Or do these relate in some way like that? Yeah. And I talk about it later in the book and because we're so early on, I, I couldn't send you the full manuscript yet, but basically they are ascending gates of accessing your own power. So before you could even have access to whatever it is that you're feeling, let alone glowing in the dark or the later ones, chill is the blank canvas you have to create to paint anything on, to even to be even be able to hear what your body is telling you. 
you know, and I, and I think of permission to feel that feels our emotions and our emotional system is a highly tuned instrument. And I think it's a gift from God to help us navigate, to help us connect with what we really need in the moment. We have been trained to not pay attention or even hear that by this busy, distracting world. And so and this at its core is very similar to yoga. The path of yoga is union with spirit. And that includes, you know, a, a lot of meditation and quieting to see what comes up for us. And, and yeah, feel it, feeling can be dangerous too. You know, I have to, I have to address in the book trauma, you know, the trauma, mm-hmm. when you turn on those faucets, you know, sometimes some really gunky tar gross stuff might come out of them and we have to figure out a way to be with that. But we cannot be with that in any way if we're not willing to chill first uh, because it just pushes it down, avoids it. So, so yeah, and th- thanks for asking that. They are ascending gates to claiming mm. your power. Mm, really interesting. So I'd love to get to permission uh, to glow in the dark. So permission number three. Yeah, so introduce us to that. And also I'd love to hear in this, like you say, like this is often why people kind of come to you or want to work with you. So I'd love to hear yeah. a little bit, like why is that the case? Yeah, well, I, th- I think most people want their own version of full self-expression. You know, we want to figure out what we're here to do and we want to get permission to do it, you know, and we want to get reinforcement that it's possible. And, and that's really alluring, you know, and that's where the glow, the word glow came from. And at first I, 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 I perceived the permission, like maybe five or six years ago, I started using that language and I thought it was just like throwing a switch and being like, I'm here y'all I'm glowing in the dark, you know? And in, in the writing and the development of this over many years has been about the um, determination to glow. Like sometimes it's only just keeping the pilot light on, on the little dream to where we could eventually add more fuel to it and let it, let it grow. Um, so glowing in the dark is about self-actualization despite the ever-present fear. The darkness is the fear and it's ever-present. We all have to make peace with it. It doesn't go away no matter how incredible you are, what you do. It's always there. You always have some new edge, but just the willingness to glow in that darkness, I think is what people are looking for. You know, just the, the, the strength and the audacity it takes to step out again and again into that darkness and, and figure out a way to glow. Uh, so that's that's kind of how it's evolved into it for me now. I really love as you're introducing these more and more, Casey, it's like there's so much intentionality in the words and how these, you know, someone might just see this and think like, hey, he came up with this clever, clever. thing, like permission yeah, to glow yeah, in the yeah. dark, right? And there's so much um, nuance and insight in what you're kind of expressing and the meaning in each of these. So um, what are some of your favorite examples of someone glowing in the dark? Wow. Yeah. So I woke up this morning to my teenage daughter in tears. Um, she's a professional singer and I write about her in the book because she's had to sing like pretty big high stakes performances with no voice. Like she'll get sick that day, but her willingness to go out there like a freaking warrior with no voice and still move a crowd of a thousand plus people that is absolutely glowing in the dark, you know? Um, cause who wouldn't be mortified or want not want to go on stage if your instrument isn't working. So she's one of my total sheroes in that department and she's, she's a beast for that. I, I call it, uh, being open to fail, but willing to fight, you know, I'm, oh, I'm, she was open to absolute failure, but willing to fight anyway. 
And when, when my executive clients, it's all different versions of that same thing. When they, when failure is absolutely on the table and they acknowledged it, not this BS of I'm going to crush it. And then they crush it. Like, where's the, what's interesting about that? You know, that sounds like posturing, but when, you know, uh, saving your company from the brink of an existential financial crisis, raising the funding when you're terrified and not sleeping, coming through, those are, those are the permission to glow, you know, and uh, glow in the dark. And, um, and also too, like when people, when people have this energy of rocking a Ted talk, it's always been their dream or dream of publishing a book. And they walk, walk off stage to a, you know, standing ovation and their energy is just like, because I said I would, you know, <laughs> and it's like dropping the mic, like just that, that full embodiment of, I did the thing that I said I was going to do. That is the determination to glow in the dark. And, and truly, I think that's what the, the world is demanding of us right now. Like that is the medicine and the audacity that's going to give other people permission for the fourth permission, which is to come together and uplift people is the willingness for these people to be brave and to glow in their own darkness. And it doesn't have to be some, you know, crazy thing of stepping out on the giant stage, you know, glowing in the dark could look totally different for other people. Sometimes it's the simple things, but the willingness to do the thing you're here to do and to be brave about it. Um, it's really important work. Yeah. Gosh, I just love hearing you talk about that. I'm feeling it in my own body right now. The, my excitement for, um, how you're just describing that and, and, this desire, right? Like, and this is where, you know, coaches, we want the best for our clients. We see the potential for our clients. We want them to glow in the dark, right? And yeah. and hold that space for them. And that's what I'm hearing you describe is, is um, that, that, that is in all of us and the world right. needs it. The world needs it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at coaching as standing on this cliff with a client. We're standing on the cliff of what is, because we all start here in the status quo, the comfort zone. And then there's the cliff that's facing us, which is a little bit higher, the sun's shining on it. And that is what will be. So what can we create? But of course, there's like this dark chasm of fear between those two. Like, how do you, are you supposed to leap? Do you grab a vine? It's up to the client, but the willingness to, to spelunk down the chasm and see what the hell's down there, see if there's actually anything real down there, that is brave work. And what are you going to light it up with? Well, you're going to light it up with your full self-expression and the audacity to freaking do it anyway, to figure mm -hmm. it out. And um, God, like just being in that conversation every day with people is something I just totally live for. I freaking love it. I love when people are able to do that and see that their possibility. Yeah, it's amazing. So let's cover the fourth permission, which is glow yeah. in the light. So how is that different from permission to glow in the dark, this idea of glowing in the light? Articulating this permission is was the hardest work I've had to do in my career to date. Uh, one of my good friends uh, and fellow coaches, Laura Neff, she, she's been a big supporter and follower of my work for a long time. And she said, you know, Casey, I love the three permissions because that's what they're worth at the time. But what if, what if that's not enough? What if glowing in the dark is just not enough? What, what's, what's beyond that? And I thought, oh, crap. I, I guess it would be glowing in the light. 
And when we sat, we sat there for a minute and I made the sound, you know, that maybe Keanu Reeves made in Bill and Ted's excellent event. I was just like, whoa, <laughs> you know, what, what could that mean? <laughs> so when I had to sit down and write it, I had to, you know, I was doing a lot of meditation, had to really feel into what this was asking of me. And honestly, I think this is what the, whatever our creator is, whether that's a divine source or, or, or whatever's guiding the unfolding of the universe would be asking us for cooperation, would be asking us to figure out ways to transcend our needy, greedy, selfish needs in service of the greater collective. And that's what permission to glow in the light is, is that as we're able to uplift and inspire others, we can all glow equally in that light because it should be made available to all of us. So I think of the permission to glow in the light as how do we commit? We've done our own work at the individual level of chilling, feeling, glowing in our own darkness. How do we put that in service of the greater good? Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's the thing is I, I think it's such a gift, even as you said, these were kind of stages that people kind of go through. And it's almost like this gift to be comfortable enough in your own skin and confident enough in your own skin. And perhaps it's just, you might say, Casey, it's your spiritual, you're standing in a stage of your spiritual growth where you're so comfortable yeah. wanting other people to glow. And it's almost like, I don't need to take all the light here. Right. Like in, in, in essence, I actually want it yeah. to be more reflected off of me and onto you, you know, it's such a right. powerful place to stand. And it does take, you know, not all leaders are comfortable doing that, right? They kind of are like, I need all the light. It's, you know, it's that ego driving us. I need, I need to take well, in all the light versus let me reflect it back out to others because that's where the power resides. Well, and sadly, and we, we've seen this very viscerally the last few years, leadership is a great line of work for narcissists, you know, because <laughs> who doesn't want to be in charge when you're a narcissist? And, and that, that is the, you know, kind of the shadow figure of the permission to glow in the light, which is dark star. You know, they're, they're not willing or able to let anybody else glow because it's only about them and they don't ask or need or receive help because, you know, I got this. Um, the, the permission to glow in the light is symbolized by the lighthouse. It's a collective of lighthouses as one shines, we all will shine. And, um, yeah, it takes a certain level of selflessness and confidence and uh, humility, certainly, to be able to allow others to shine and glow as as they're meant to. And and you know, true conscious leadership, I think, is seeing the opportunity to develop others, to hire people who are more talented than you, to show you how it's done. And um, I'm so endlessly inspired by my leaders who do that, and they've created cultures and teams that allow everyone to glow in that light. And that's what abundant business success looks like. That's what abundant impact in the world looks like as an organization is allowing others to come together to uplift and not compete. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that there are great examples out there that demonstrate that it's possible and that it works. Yeah. And, and I think we're in this, we're, we're alive at a time where we're grow, we're still growing out of like our, you know, industrial age notions of scarcity and uh, it's a very volatile time and certainly painful time uh, to be witness to all of this stuff. And the face, the, the, the crises facing humanity are so formidable. How else could they possibly be solved than together? Mm. That's the only possibility. So it's, if it's not climate change, it's political discourse. If it's not that it's, you know, financial equity in some level, but it, it's uh 
Yeah, it, th- this one scared me, and it still scares me that it's it's so powerful to to be with and and so far off on some days that how do we even get past ourselves to want to? But um, again, the 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 leaders that I aspire to be and be with, they they give us that permission. You know, yeah. they 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 know it's possible. Yeah, that's great. I mean, one thing I wanted to come back to that you talked about at the beginning was this this idea of capacity. So. People listening to sustainable ambition like want to find more career and life fulfillment with more ease while avoiding burnout. So how do I how do I be ambitious but like with boundaries and avoiding burnout? And one of the things you talk about is this idea of expanding our capacities to include everything life is throwing at, at us and and to hold more, which is such an interesting concept to think like, hey, in all mm. of this, like chilling, accepting it all, feeling it all, it's actually like take it in all in, you know, and use yeah. it all and not, not pushing what life throws at us aside. Um, and it's like, that's what actually allows us to transcend overwhelm and disruption, I believe you think. Yeah. And so- I want to make sure I'm understanding that correctly. And sure. I, and just, cause I think it's such a powerful concept around this, which is, you know, th- the permission to chill is, is powerful in and of itself, right. To kind of like slow things down. Right. But can you say just a little bit more about, cause you mentioned this whole capacity thing before and expanding yeah. our capacity. Oh, yeah. And, and right. I wanted to just come back to it and just hit on it a little bit. Yeah. So when I think of capacity, um, and, and with due props to Stephen Covey for you know, production capability, he talked about about you know nurturing the goose that lays the golden eggs. I mean, that's how I think about capacity. Um, and so there's a distinction though between taking more in. I would never advise taking in all of the crazy insanity of this world and, and keeping it in there. We want to allow it to flow through us. You know, and in coaching, we we watch the content of the clients words kind of flow like a river. It's endless. It'll always be there tomorrow. We're more concerned with the context. What are their stories? What's their relationship to that river? So I think when I think of chill, the, the, the goal there, the muscle that we build with permission to chill is discernment, the, the wisdom to know the difference in the serenity prayer, what serves me and what doesn't, you know, and, and that increases our capacity to, to just know what serves us and what doesn't. It, it opens up capacity to not worry about the small crap that doesn't serve us. Uh, feel nurtures our intuition to more guide our actions towards right action versus action for action's sake. We listen to our bodies to, to, to direct us. Permission to glow in the dark is about the capacity around um, just more audacity to, to be bold, to find a deeper reserve of um, courage inside of ourselves. And like we said, with, with the fourth permission is to just develop our unlimited uh, potential for collaboration you know, and, and all the stuff that that brings up with us because we want to compete. Uh, so, so yeah, the, this, the world is asking more of us than ever before and the capacity has to expand someplace. And I don't believe it's going to expand at the level of our calendar. I don't think Microsoft or whoever is going to develop a calendar that has more hours on it for us to book crap in. Um, it doesn't always expand, you know, money certainly doesn't expand our capacity because I, I coach extremely wealthy set people that, that struggle with the same things. I think it has to be negotiated on the soul level to, to, um, find that, um, bigger space, that bigger territory inside ourselves to be ourselves. Mm-hmm. 
Mm, so great. Well, you do this yourself. You have a family of five. You are running a business. Um, how? Why, what was I thinking, Kathy? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you, you've given us the roadmap, right? You just yeah. said. So how do you try to live the four permissions in your own life to increase your capacity to kind of hold all of this? Yeah. So, so people with kids just listen up for a second. Cause this was the best wisdom I ever got it was from a good friend, Eric Klein. Uh, Eric Klein uh, runs this great organization in San Diego called wisdom heart. And he's a very accomplished corporate coach and also yogi. He's been a yogi forever, meditating every single day for maybe 45, 50 years. He's a brilliant dude. And he raised two brilliant, beautiful yogi boys. And these guys work at my retreats, teaching yoga to my guests and so I was like asking him, I'm like, sensei, what is the secret to parenting? Cause your kids are amazing. You know? And he said, well, the good news is they don't tune into you, your, your daily, you know, tantrums or freakouts, whatever they tune into the long game arc of what you're doing. So if you're somebody who's working on improving themselves, they will become somebody who values working on and improving themselves. And so I've been giving myself the permission to meditate for, you know, well over a decade now. So I think my kids know that as, as rough around the edges as I can be, because I'm, you know, a human being and a dad with too much on his plate sometimes, um, that I, I am willing to give myself that permission and it gets them curious about it. So, um, yeah, feeling has been later to the mix, but um, raising two daughters, I have two, two daughters and a son, just showing vulnerable emotion and encouraging them to do so. My wife's always been really brilliant with that and I'm um, trying to catch up. Um, glow in the dark. I've always been a performer since I was a kid. I used to tour in a ska band and play with, you know, play music all over the world. My daughter's following that same path. And, and that comes a little bit more naturally in the Carter house. Um, it's something that we do for fun as a family is go out to see rock shows and bands and just enjoy that performative aspect. Um, and I think all of us as parents can do a better job with figuring out ways to serve, serve as a family you know, to donate our time at soup kitchens or handing out food. I mean, there's so many people in need right now. So, um, so yeah, that it is juggling a lot, but, um, I'd say out of all of them for me and my path has been to meditate. If I'm meditating consistently, the time expands to allow for what needs to happen. If my meditation is practice is struggling and right now it's in a challenging place with the book coming out and a lot of these interviews and stuff. Uh, I just noticed that as I, as I get more, you know, tight with my time, um, my kids get a little bit more anxious. Things start to feel a little rough around the edges. So, so yeah, I'd say if, if you could only do one thing, meditate consistently, minimum 15 minutes a day, every day, no excuses, no matter what time will expand for you. Um, so that's been my experience so far and I hope to keep improving upon it. That's so great. I love that advice. And um, that that's that pausing and chilling that I, I imagine that you said that you always make a part of your practice when you're coaching people. Um, just a final question before I ask you for a final piece of wisdom to leave folks with. But, you know, so many people, including myself, say they want to meditate and, and never get to it. You know, I kind of yeah. think my walking in the park or my swimming sure. kind of serves at that. But this might be too big of a last minute question, Casey, no. but if like, if, how can people, you know, if they want to start this, is there a place where you'd point them, even a program that you offer that, um, where should they go to kind of easily create a life-changing meditation habit? Yeah. So probably the best place now, I think, and, and yeah, I'm non-partial. It's something I had to create for busy people because I'm one of those. It took me 
many years to be able to sit still for five minutes, let alone, you know, the, the, the type of meditation I practice now at Christmas time, we sit for eight hours on Christmas. Like, could you imagine sitting still for that long, let alone meditating the whole time? It's brutal, but the, there's very simple, easy to follow paths. I have one on insight timer. If you search my name, Christopher Carter with a K and two F's that sequence of guided meditations. It's like the dad, I try to do the dad holding the two wheeler bike seat thing. So it's like, we're going to do this for one, like if five minutes, we're going to spend just doing these three phases, like getting our own attention, bringing the attention back for a while, and then directing our attention to our highest good. We do that for five minutes. Then we progress into 10 minutes. And then by the time we're at 15 minutes, I'm letting go of that bike seat for like five to seven minutes of silence in the middle of the guided meditation. And that's really how I learned, you know, many years ago in Chicago, I learned this practice sitting on crowded buses on the red line in Chicago, taking, going, going on my morning commute, people bumping into me, ripping out my earbuds at the time. And, but that determination to sit consistently, like, so I would say walking in the park is amazing. Running is amazing. Having your morning coffee on your back porch, all those things are beautiful, but it's not the same act as sitting still with yourself and quieting the mind as many times as necessary. Most people think that meditation is the absence of thought. It's not at all. It's the time you spend clearing the thoughts and bringing the attention back. Just that little deposit of time each day is super transformative. Yeah. And I'd love, I'd love for people to check out the 30 day challenge inside insight timer. That's the way to do it. Definitely capture that. Yeah, in and, the and, show and, notes. And, and Kathy, that's a standing offer to just be your distant uh, meditation teacher and coach. I'm happy to help you create that habit. Awesome. Thank you so much. This is great, Casey. I'm so looking forward to your book coming out again for folks, Permission to Glow, A Spiritual Guide to Epic Leadership, which is coming out on October 5th. So just a final question. Is there a final piece of wisdom you'd leave our listeners with? Mm. Yeah, the final piece of wisdom, I mean, it all kind of begins and ends with you. You know, we're here to receive the gift of being ourselves. And that is a gift that's so precious that any of us will do whatever we can to resist receiving that gift. We'll follow other people's scripts. We'll talk poorly about ourselves. We'll ride ourselves like some crappy little horse jockey. You get to receive this gift. And what can you do each day to practice receiving the gift of being yourself, you know, to be quiet with yourself, to feel what you're, what you're really trying to tell yourself to unapologetically be yourself and on blast and to give yourself over in service to some greater good. So that's what I would leave people with. Wow. That's really, really powerful. And it's so interesting, just this just embrace being yourself. And it's so interesting what you say, how much we resist that. And it's as simple you, and as hard as that. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. And yet here you are, you have these four permissions. So I know people can find you at thisepiclife.com. I'll also share, you know, capture that in the show notes. Is there anything else you want to highlight or anything we can do for you? Like pick up your book when it comes out on October 5th. Yeah, the the book, uh, the book's open for pre-order at September 7th. Um, really what I'm most excited about is getting bulk orders through organizations. So I work with a lot of HR people and leaders, and I, I really feel that there's a, a real need for this with upcoming leadership. This this next generation of leadership is truly ready for it. Those are the people I mostly work with. Um, so yeah, it's all about the book at this point. And uh, the book is found at uh, permissiontoglowbook.com. 
Perfect. Wonderful. Casey, thank you so much for being with me today. This has been a fabulous conversation. I'm so excited about the book and uh, look forward to getting it when it comes out on October 5th. Oh, thank you so much, Kathy. It's always a pleasure meeting with fellow coaches because they just ask the best questions. So thank Uh, you. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance. It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.